we are very excited to be back for iMOOC Season 4, and we are in Episode 1. This season we're going to do a little bit different. We have three books this time, uh, The Innovator's My Mindset by myself, uh, Empowered by AJ Giuliani and John Spencer, and Learner-Centered Innovation by Katie Martin. And so participants are actually uh, using each one of the books, or one of the books on their own, and blogging based on the books and the prompts, but we're bringing the community together, uh, so there's more choice through this process. And so in this first episode, Katie Martin and I talk about what was her process for writing, what inspires her, AJ Giuliani comes in later into the talk, and we talk about how we empower students, but really pushing on how we focus on becoming learners before we serve our students. So great episode, lots of interest from the community and asking questions, and we're glad to take some of those questions through the process. I hope you enjoy it. Take care. Hey, everyone. It is George Kuros, and we are back for season four and episode one of iMOOC. And uh, we're really excited about the season because it's actually a little bit different than what we've done before. Uh, the focus of the main uh, of iMOOC in the previous uh, epi- or seasons was uh, simply my book. And uh, there's so many people who are coming back and doing my book over and over and over again. And uh, I, I want to continue to push learning. And I know that I'm I'm honored by that, but we wanted to actually give an opportunity to um, have some other readings, and uh, and so other people are doing this too. And so um, we're really proud to uh, have expanded kind of the iMOOC family to include uh, Katie Martin's book, uh, Learner-Centered Innovation, and AJ Giuliani and John Spencer's book, uh, Empower. And the thing that was really nice about this is that we have actually had the opportunity to, um, the bookster have connections but they all have different thinking and I think they uh, even challenge each other a little bit uh, some of the work that we're doing and how we actually think about students so um, AJ Giuliani might be joining us later John Spencer was supposed to but he had a flight delay so we are with Katie Martin today and uh, Katie is the author of Learner-Centered Innovation and uh, the book has done very well lots of people are really enjoying it and um, I was very blessed to be able to uh, publish it with um, Dave Burgess Consulting through Impress, and we're looking at more books coming out soon that really focus on innovation and thinking differently about how we look at uh, learners in general, going beyond the notion of simply students, but learners as well. So, Katie, if you just want to say hi to everyone, that would be great, and tell us uh, tell us a little bit about um, about what your hopes for this season of iMOOC. All right. Have um, good night. Good night. Good evening. Good night. <laughs> and that's it, everybody. We are off for Great. the evening. <laughs> We're get, just getting started here. Um, I am super excited to be here and just honored to have been able to publish this book with George and Dave and Shelley, and um, just humbled by the reception, people sharing what you're getting out of it, and. Um, lots of comments, lots of messages. I really appreciated everyone who's reached out and shares your thinking. So I'm just really excited to have this conversation. Really, um, you know, I wrote this in the foreword and throughout the book. But as a mom, as an educator, I really just as a community member, I really want to have more conversations about what we want for kids, what we want to happen in our schools, and how we can all do better to to create those outcomes. So I'm really excited about this iMOOC to connect the book with Innovator's Mindset, with Empower, and the awesome guests we have, and just get the conversation going. And Katie, I actually think it is solely focused on my face right now. Has anyone seen Katie yet, or is it just 100% me? Because I think that because we're logged on um, using the same account that it's not working. So that's what's happening right now. Um, <laughs> so do you want me to come back on? No, no, no. You stay on. So I'm actually going to, yeah, thanks, Allison. Allison Apsey, uh, who's doing a Facebook Live. So I'm going to actually uh, cut out of here right away. But Katie, I'm going to actually turn over the question to you, and I'm going to pop back on. And so you're going to have to see how good you are a talker. Um, without me, but what inspired you to write learner-centered innovation? What was the, like, 
why did you write it? And I will have zero follow-up questions for you because I won't hear any of your answer. But uh, I encourage people to um, actually ask questions in the chat and, uh, and, and I'll come back right away. So Katie, I'm turning it over to you. Awesome. Now I can see the chat. So, all right, there now I can see my face. So what inspired me to write this book? I think I kind of started with just saying that as a mom and as an educator, I think that we really can do um, much better for learners in our classrooms. Um, when I was a student growing up, um, I never really felt that I was seen or didn't really feel like there was a place for me in school. I kind of went, to be honest, for the social aspect of it. And I know that not all teachers come with that sense. A lot of times teachers grow up thinking, I lined all my stuffed animals up and I had lessons and knew I was going to be a teacher from day one. That was certainly not my path. I was definitely much more, um, I loved people and loved helping people, but I did not think I was going to be a teacher. And uh, I had some classes in college and some opportunities to be in schools. And I thought, I don't have to do this the way that I was taught. There's a, there is a better way and there's different ways that we can um, engage learners in the classroom and throughout the school. So that's really what inspired me in teaching. And then the more I've worked with tons of educators, especially in the last five years um, in San Diego and nationally, I've just seen the amazing things that are possible when people really push boundaries and think about how we can really serve the learners in our classrooms and look forward rather than recreate what's always been done. So seeing that, learning about that, and finally like blogging, kind of finding my voice about what I, what I thought about it and what mattered to me um, just got me inspired to write the book. And so Katie, I'm back. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay, and so I don't know if this is switching. It's still focused solely on me. What is going on? Let's see. Um, there I am. So how do we do this? So the one of the things that, and I apologize for the, the glitch here, Katie's running the whole thing. Um, <laughs> that's not why it's screwing up. It's just that we're using the same account. So this is the first time uh, that Katie has done this because I can't participate in all of those sessions. But um, one of the reasons, one of the things that actually was really interesting when uh, we started the company Impress, and we started this because we wanted to focus on um, books on innovation and <clears throat> what the process of running the innovators mindset was really powerful for me um, was actually, and I wrote this in the forward for Katie's book was Katie actually basically went through every single chapter um, as I finished it for the innovators mindset. And you probably can remember that uh, process Katie is that um, every day, like literally every day I would send Katie the chapter when I was done and why? And because I trusted Katie so much, I, I really appreciated her view for education. And uh, I actually gave her like full range to change anything that she felt um, I wasn't saying correctly or, or was off. And it actually led to the, the book being so much better than what it would have been if I didn't actually have Katie through the process. And so we just really love that. I thought the process was so uh, was done so well that we actually decided that's how we wanted to build the company Impress. And so the Impress is basically, we only publish four to six books a year, but the reality of it is, is that every single book uh, we go through and we give that kind of KD feedback um, through the process of where we challenge people, get them to think. And so we're trying to mentor them through that process and kind of give them some ideas um, of what we're doing. And so we're very selective of what books that we publish because um, they are, because we do have to put a lot of time into them and not because uh, the author's ideas are so weak, but we kind of want to mentor through that process and challenge some of those ideas. And so um, going through Katie's book, that was actually part of the process that we did back and forth is, you know, and I think that Katie and I do this. And the reason why I bring this up is because we don't, we don't do this enough. I, and I, I'm talking in education is that we just like, oh, you're so awesome, you're the best. But we never challenge people. And like, if you just, like, you do have to, and I tweet this out today, talking about the importance of building relationships and how crucial that is. And like, you don't, but are you building relationships to be liked? Or are you building relationships so that you can push and help people get better? And I think that's the thing, is that a lot of people, they build their relationships because they just want to be loved and, you know, and, and that's yeah. it. 
but do but do we build those relationships because like katie will tell you straight up like i don't mince words with her i tell her straight up like no nope, i don't agree with this and i think that's beneficial so um any thoughts on that katie and like even the process of writing the book yeah i was just saying i you definitely don't are not the person i go to for warm fuzzies but <laughs> you're probably my um most right. mentor in that because i know that um, if it sucks, you're going to tell me. And I want to hear that before I send it out to a lot of people. And I appreciate people in my life who do that. I seek out mentors who do that, um, who I know care about me and care about the work, um, but are really looking to help make it stronger and make it better. So going through that process, I was really actually transparent with my kids as I was writing the book. Um, as a second and, a second and third graders, as if you've read the book, you know, Abby and Zach are very... Um, you know, prominent throughout the book. But while I was writing it, I'd say like, look at all these edits I got. Um, look at how much, look at the comments and people don't like this section. And I fi finished this. And it was really eye-opening for them because in school, they do one draft, maybe a second draft to make sure it looks pretty and turn it in. And, and they really got to see a different eye on the process and started writing their own books, which I thought was super awesome. Um, but back to like, I think I wrote this or have been kind of just like thinking a lot about it. I've never considered myself a writer. Still, George mentioned earlier, he was like, how does it feel to be an author? And it's crazy. Famous yeah. author. Um, it's, it's, <laughs> I've never thought of myself as a writer. I've never thought of myself in that way. Um, you know, even after I finished my dissertation, even after I've published articles, I've never thought of myself as a writer because it wasn't something that like, came for me that I wanted to write about that was really part of who I was. And so this process has been really empowering just to put my thoughts on paper, put them, you know, put them out um, to the world. It's scary, the scary, one of the scariest things I've ever done. Um, you know, really sending that first tweet that the book was finally out took me about 10 minutes to finally push tweet because it was, it was nerve wracking and waiting to hear what people think. But, um, but I also feel really excited and grateful to have gone through the process. And, and I think that's actually um, something that we talk about quite a bit is when I was talking to Katie and, and I talked to authors, the, the last thing you want is in a book. And like, there's a difference between a blog post and a book because I can go and edit my blog, right? Like the blog is not, you know, if I screw up some grammar or you know, make a spelling mistake or even the idea, I can blog the next day and, redirect it there is some finality to a book whether we like it or not and one of the things i would say is that do you want to have this challenge when the book is printed or do you want to have this challenge now and i think that's something that we and i'm not saying you shouldn't ever do anything and put it out your ideas out there but there is a there is a difference between a book when it is on on, on paper and i think that um this is something that we have to not only talk about uh for professional reasons but you know personal reasons like we're getting into a time where we don't have conversations with each other and challenge each other's ideas out of a place of warmth right it's out of a place often be being right and one of the best things that um i've read i cannot remember where i read this but i just all i know it's not my idea and i'm always okay saying that is that there's a difference between a discussion and an argument and a dis uh, an argument is about declaring a winner like who won that argument and a discussion is about finding the best ideas and we need more discussions professionally personally because uh, i think that's the, it's a really different way of thinking but i think that's something as you know adults that we have to learn and i see lots of the comments right now talking about how we flesh out those ideas and how we have that connection and, and so what does that actually mean for us and so katie what was like just curious what was like one of the hardest parts um, through the writing process? Like what, what challenged you quite a bit? That's a good question. Um, I only ask good questions, Katie. That's I know. It. That's it. I think, you know, there was, there was a lot of ideas. Like there were some chapters that were just really easy to write. They, from blogs and from ideas, they kind of just were there. Um, and then getting to a point where you're stuck and kind of figuring out the overall flow of how I want the ideas to, um, to go together, I think was, was a challenge. Um, 
And getting to that final place, I think what you're saying, like, how are people going to receive these ideas? Understanding and trying to think about teachers reading it, parents reading it, um, administrators, and making sure that the ideas resonated in a way that um, inspired people to change, but also didn't make them feel like they weren't doing enough. Um, You know, because I really, truly care about so many educators. I feel like they're doing so much work, and the job of a teacher is just out of control these days. It's very hard. There's, you know, working in schools is, is tough. And so being able to push people to a way to think that there's a way to do it better with that while still honoring who they are and what they do and how much they've already put into the process. Yeah. And I, I, like, I think that's a, I think that's a really crucial point that you're making Katie is because the, the reality of it is, is that your ideas can only go for, as far as the people that are implementing them. And I've been really working with a lot of groups lately talking about this notion of, of response intervention, how we do that in schools. And a lot of times we constantly focus on, you're not doing this, you're not doing this, not doing this. And it is very rare that a really high achieving academic student, not your smartest kids, I always separate the two because some of your smartest kids are terrible at school. Um, some of those kids, we have like what, you know, a lot of people call response intervention meetings. And we basically just constantly focus on what they do wrong and eventually a lot of those kids drop out of school and I want you to really think about that process that if you actually create an environment where you worked in where people always focus on your weaknesses and what was wrong with you you probably wouldn't want to work there either and then we wonder why kids drop out like if you if you heard you sucked all the time yeah I'd want to leave too and I think that's that's one of the really important gifts about uh, Katie and actually John and AJ's book is there is this subtle balance of pushing while honoring. And, and, and I think that's something that we have to always focus on is that how do we actually, how do you build that rapport with people? How do you challenge them? And like something I do in, in all my talks is I spend time uh, trying to really connect with the audience, not only that they know me, but I know them, that they understand I know them. Because it's way easier when you have rapport to kind of needle people and challenge them a bit. But if you just get into like, man, like we got to get here and this all sucks in education. Well, people tune out real quick. And so I think that's, I think that's, um, I think it's a really important point of the book. And so um, one of the questions that you actually have here is when you look at this book, what, what do you actually hope? because of it happens in schools? What do you hope happens because of the work that you do? Uh, I hope that, you know, to your point about not focusing on weaknesses, I hope we start conversations between parents, educators, the community, and we really start to see practices where kids are honored for their unique strengths, that we kind of challenge that notion of what smart means, what smart looks like in school, to have a wider range to really um, value and lift up the the genius in so many kids, um, and that we we reach more kids because we are honoring that. You know, our model is built for you know thirty percent or whatever it is to actually go through the system and do well, and and we don't often create systems and structures that that allow all kids to succeed in a way that. Um, that they need to in our, in the way that they, um, to have the life that they want and, and, and pursue their passions. And the reason I think, um, that's hitting really hard for me right now, my son who's in second grade has started to come home and says, he doesn't like school. He's like, mom, can you homeschool me? Which would be a really bad idea, but you know, he's, he's not, um, and the thing is, I, his teacher is amazing. She loves him. I know she does. She, he has a great group of um, kids in his class. He's got a great school. But he um, sees some of his weaknesses that are focused on his handwriting. He's a second-grade boy who loves to play basketball. And when he doesn't get his recess, his handwriting's horrible. We're working on it. Um, sorry, buddy, for mentioning that. But it, it's really a creating a barrier for him in school because his handwriting isn't perfect and because he doesn't write as fast as everybody else. Whereas like he'll come home and write a two page book that he narrates on the computer and he'll read because he gets to read whatever he wants, but he sees school not aligned with his strengths and he's, he's starting to tune out. He's like, how much longer do I have to do this for? 
And it's a long road ahead if that's what he's already thinking. And I know he's not alone. Ten I, more years. That's it. Ten more years. And I remember thinking that as a student, like in third grade, thinking, how many more years do I have to do this? And I think we can do better for our kids to make school a place where they feel supported and lifted and, and really their, their gifts are um, acknowledged and that their skills are built up. I certainly want his letters to be able, I want him to be able to write something people can read. I want those skills to be built up, but I also want to feel like he can, he can be honored for other things he does. But, but, and I think one of the, like, I actually, <laughs> I was actually on national news talking about cursive handwriting and you should have saw like the comments from people who like wanted to kill me and graffiti my house in cursive. And, uh, it was like insane how bad it was. And I actually didn't say like, there should be no cursive in school. Cause I'm not an idiot. And I know who watches those shows, but the, <laughs> the reality of this is like, one of the things I always find fascinating is a lot of people will say like, Oh, like, you know, it's really important to have cursive, blah, blah, blah. And I'll say, who do you consider to have the worst handwriting in the world? And people always say doctors. I'm like, who do you consider to be the smartest people? Right. And like, there's a weird, I don't know if there's any connection between the two, but here's a point that I always try to make with people is that when I went to school and Katie, I don't know how much younger the, I know you're younger than me, but maybe five years, but people, be like maybe older than me and people 20 years, you know, starting in the profession. Now, the problem is the amount of time in the school day is exactly the same, but the needs of the community are actually changing and what we're doing. And so we can't spend as much time on cursive as we once did, nor should we. And even the people like doing this, a lot of people who are not participating right now can write cursive, but they couldn't figure out how to get to this link. Right. So then what? Like, I actually know how to do both. And so is that something that we focus on? And is that something we connect with? Because is that actually a skill that we need? Like, I'm t- like and, uh, to be honest with you, like, if you can't get to the link, then that's not even a really like making the video is a whole other concept. And so that's something I want to I want people to think about. We have to understand the time frame is exactly the same, but the demands of teachers are are changing continuously. And, and like, how much do you, does a person use cursive? today and I'm please don't get hung up on the cursive idea but um one of the tweets and I wanted to ask you about this Katie because I know this is a really big thing uh and I touched briefly upon it but you do a much better job um in your book talking about the experiences of staff and I actually tweeted something out yesterday and there's a reason I did the wording and I just want your thought on it um I tweet out any teachers and this is very important I said teachers out there think your school is a great job of professional learning if if you do what does it look like and i would say that half of the responses were not teachers it was like oh i'm admin and we do this and we do this and i'm like well that's not actually who i'm asking right like i want to actually i want to hear from teachers who think that that's actually really enjoyable or this is something that we're benefiting of so i know you talk a lot about the idea of how we change professional learning what are some of your thoughts on that? And like, what does that look like? And how can we be effective with that? Well, first, I love that question. And um, I was excited to see the responses. But I always make sure to keep checking back with teachers, because I think that 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 is super important. We can all say we do a great job. Um, So I really think um, I'm just like the best experiences that I keep hearing from teachers time and time again, are when they get to work on problems that exist in their classrooms, in their context, and work with community members, work with people in their school, find the resources to solve those problems. Now, don't give me, like, there's a, there's a balance, and I think I talk about this in the book. There's not the, go ahead and take two hours and figure out, do whatever you want, and then, you know, I, I trust you, do whatever you want. There's that principle that... Um, sometimes will tell me I don't have time to plan this. So I just trust my teachers and let them do what they want. And then the teachers tell me, well, no one came to the meeting and people were late and all of a sudden someone had a doctor's appointment. And so everyone's frustrated, right? That doesn't typically work. I'm not saying don't trust your teachers. On the other side, there's the person who stands up and says, I have the schedule mapped out. This is what we're going to do all day long. And that rarely works out either. So in the middle where there's clear expectations 
And teachers have time and autonomy to really figure out how to solve those problems, plan with each other, collaborate. Those are the times when teachers find the most use out of um, professional development. And I'm not saying they need resources, modeling. Um, the other thing, so giving them time and and actually having some accountability about what are you going to do and what's this going to look like. The other thing that has been a mainstay in all of my work since I was in the classroom now is getting teachers into each other's classrooms. It's always uncomfortable. People always push back. But as soon as we get into other classrooms, they're so inspired. They see different things. They're able to think about how their own classrooms differently. And it's always an opener for conversations and it builds community. But I always try to frame it about the person going into the classroom, what they're learning, rather than what the person in the classroom is doing and what they could tell them to do better. Teachers going to classrooms should be about opening the doors, opening a conversation, not about critiquing and evaluation. Um, and so that, I think, getting into classrooms and then providing time and space with like clear goals and resources are super helpful. And just like providing opportunities for teachers to be learners in new ways. So those three things together, kind of that three-legged stool, when teachers actually get to like be the learner, do something, go through the process and actually like learn how to blog, sit down and learn how to use the resources and like figure it out on their own, then they're able to take that back to the classroom in their own way. And one of the things that we, so I was actually asked this question today, I did a brief Google Hangout with the school district today. And they asked me like, when does innovation not improve, like, you know, include technology? I'm like, well, tons of times, if you're actually really think about that notion, like innovation can be in the way you deliver professional learning in a way that's new and better, right? And, you know, one of the things that you said, Katie, that I totally agree with is the best professional learning um, that any educator can do is actually see other teachers teach. And I, I've always believed this. And I remember when I first became a principal, one of my, uh, one of my mentors said to me, you'll become so much better of a teacher now that you're a principal because you can go to teacher's classrooms all the time and teachers don't have access to this. And my question was continuously, like, that doesn't really help my teachers if I become a better teacher, but they're not because they don't have access. And so, like, I know people like Tony Sananis, Joe Sanfilippo, um, you know, educators all over the world, uh, administrators, instead of them always being the person, even though they could be the best person to actually help a teacher and have a conversation uh, about, you know, new teaching strategies, they'll actually go into classrooms and teach for a teacher so that that teacher can go into another teacher's classroom. Because a lot of times, like, people listen to this, some of them are instructional coaches, some of them are administrators, and what we do often is basically, you know, we become the sole source of information that we work with those teachers specifically, but why don't you prove you can still teach and go in a classroom and cover a class while that teacher, I'm pretty sure Matt Aaron, uh, who's, who I know he's in the chat right now, does things like that too. And there is an innovation in that process as well. It's just thinking differently and it's not going to cost you any more money. It's going to sharpen your skills, have you a better understanding, like um, to, to continuously go into classrooms. I think that that is something that's, really powerful uh, for your teachers to see, but also for you to be reminded how hard teaching is and, and what the struggle is. And, and so that's something that we continue to focus on. Sorry, Katie, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, I think the, the other thing that it does is it takes teaching from this theoretical standpoint. We can talk about it and we can kind of highlight all the things we do and, and people make up in absence of seeing what, what is actually happening in the classroom. People make up stories, they assume things. When you get into classrooms, you realize like that teacher who you think is phenomenal is pretty phenomenal, but like they're very, we have a lot of similarities and, and people can all of a sudden go, oh, I am doing, I'm doing that too. And it's also like just validating for people to see because teachers um, really hold themselves to a high regard and, and, you know, put a lot of pressure on themselves. There's this notion that they have to be perfect. A lot of times I've talked with a lot of teachers recently um, like, I feel like I have to be perfect and I don't want anyone to come see it till it's ready. Uh, and just getting in and like pushing past that fear to see somebody and see someone else's classroom can really help teachers understand that like they're actually much further along than they actually realize in, in their goal and what they want to do. And, and, and that's actually like a really interesting point because what is the goal of education? Is it to develop learners or to develop perfectionists? Right. And I think that's a, that's something that we, like, oh, I don't want anyone to see me learning. <laughs> it's kind of a disconnect 
of the work that we actually do. I think going through the process and, and highlighting this, and like there's a, a great Dimitri Martin uh, image that I use in my presentations, and lots of people use it, but they don't actually give it credit. It's actually by a comedian. Uh, Dimitri Martin talks about what success looks like, and he talks about the messiness of the process, but I actually simply replace the word success with learning, and the messiness of that is really powerful because we have to understand that success is a process. It's not simply a product. And I, I always say this because it's one of my favorite quotes ever. It takes years and years of hard work to become an overnight success. That people always identify the product, but they don't actually identify how hard the process is and, and, and where you're actually uh, getting to. Um, one of the things that you mentioned was the, the importance of time. And I was actually in with Del Mar Schools in California. And this is something I've done in uh, Winnipeg School District as well. We were talking about digital portfolios. And as many people are doing iMOOC for the first time, you can look at it as a blog. You can actually look at it as a portfolio of your work and you can start tying it to your teaching standards and things like that too. But what we actually did through the process was uh, we, we showed some teachers, some, we did some creating together. We did some pro, uh, some of the like logistical things, like here's how to use this technology. But once they actually understood the technology, I gave them like a three-hour lunch and said, hey, go off. I don't care if you go to Starbucks. I don't care if you stay in the room. Uh, do whatever. We're coming back though, and we're gonna read. I want you to write something during that time. And when we come back, we are all gonna comment on each other's stuff. And so there was an accountability you actually had to get done. But people were like looking at me like I was insane. Like, oh, you're just gonna let us go on our own and like do stuff. I'm like, well, yeah. Ultimately, at the end of the day, like, if you don't use your time wisely, everyone's gonna know because you didn't get it done. Right. And so they had ample time and I'm the type of person that I can't function unless I have, like, if there's something I need to get done, like I can't eat until it's done. Some people need to reflect and ponder. And so they went ate first and like talked it out with their friends or colleagues. And I think that was a really powerful element of like how we provide time. And so like you, you talk about this, Katie, like how we provide, like, you know, the importance of time, but like how have you seen it done where it's not the same you know, like time is, hey, you. here's the time for you after school. So I think that's a perfect question. I actually had, um, I was working with a few different districts in New Mexico. Love, They're an awesome group of people. And I get to see them monthly. So the second time we met, their goal was to have this plan. They're, you know, really looking at the culture of their schools to figure out how to support project-based learning. And so we had done some work in the morning, we had connected, and I set it up where they had an hour attached to lunch to work after lunch to work on their plan. And what I said is similar thing to George. I'm going to give you two hours. However you decide to eat, work on your plan, whatever makes sense to you, you have a two-hour window. When you come back is when you're presenting and we're doing presentations of learning, you're sharing your plan, and you're going to get feedback from another, um, another school leader. Not one. There are 50 people in the room. They figured out how to order lunch in. No one left. They spent two hours working because I gave them the time. The day before, I had said, you have an hour for lunch. You need to be back. Everyone came in a half hour late. You know, to, do they like strolled in and then like we, our work time was cut short. The next day when they had the autonomy to like leave and do whatever they wanted for two hours, they worked because they had a goal. They had something they knew they needed to do. They were excited about it. They owned it. I didn't tell them their goal. And it was really just awesome to watch. I just sat there like in awe and I got to talk with all the groups and connect with them. And they had amazing products and plans. And then the next time they came back, they shared them. So, I mean, like this is the thing we're saying, like you have time, but it was their problem, their goal within a larger vision that we were all sharing that they, that made sense in their context. On the flip side, I did that again the second time or the third time we met and the goal wasn't as clear. And so they didn't stay and they took off and didn't use the time. So, you know, I think it's really clear to just say like, go have two hours isn't as effective as like really making sure they have the tools, they have the resources, they, they have the, um, the vision and then they need the time to work on it. So I think that there's, there's a real fine balance that needs to be struck. Well, and that's like, that's a, that's a conversation I have quite often is, is your focus compliance or, or what the kid is actually doing? So uh, I'm the type of kid and well, I shouldn't say kid anymore, but I'm the type of learner, which hasn't really grown up 
that I kind of need to do things on my own time and I can get a lot done, but I also like watching cat videos and I also like checking my Facebook and I also like doing certain elements of that. But at the end of the day, I'm still going to provide high quality stuff. The way my brain process is different. And when we say this to kids, it's like, you know, you need to, you need to stay on task. You need to do this is our focus of time. What if the kid needs to check out? Like self-regulation is a conversation that we talk about all the time in education now, but it's kind of like, it's not really self-regulation. It's like, here's how you regulate like the adult. And that's not really self-regulation. That's like imposed regulation. So do we teach kids like, hey, it's okay. I know you check out once in a while. I know that you're not paying attention right here. But I also know you do high quality work and that's how your brain processes and, and doing things like that. Or is it like everyone's got to be doing the same thing at the same time? We all got to be listening to this. And ultimately, if I do really amazing work, but I check out sometimes, is that better than the person who's always on task but doesn't do good work? Right. right. And I think that's something that we have to start focusing. Like, what are you actually focused on? Right. What's the end goal? And I think that we have to be really clear about that and help people understand that. Um, I personally get frustrated and I'm, uh, you know, maybe not like everybody, but when, when I'm sitting in a session and people tell me, please put your computer at 45 degrees or you can't have your cell phone. And I'm like, I'm an adult. I don't even like telling kids that, but people want to manage because they don't think that I'm going to give enough attention. Like that was like recently someone said that. Yeah. Like on purpose. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. That's really fascinating. So I think that like, I know, and this is in like innovative spaces and people who are thinking differently, but I know that those conversations still happen. So we, our actions don't necessarily match how we give expectations to people. We say, Hey, we want you to be really creative and thoughtful and collaborate. But while I'm talking to you, look at me, make sure your computer's down. And I know people do that all the time. The other thing I was going to say, George, to your other point is, um, in professional learning, when I'm leading a session or I'm working with people, I know one of my like cues that things aren't going well is if someone asks me, so Katie, what do you want me to do? Is this what you wanted me to do? I know that like that's a sign that they're not owning the process and I have like over given them like tasks or instructions rather than like given them the opportunity to do something that's meaningful for them. And I just think that that's really important to pay attention. If someone says like, did you want me to fill it in this way? Or did you want me to like take notes here? I don't want to have to guide people that way. I want to give them the ideas and like the big picture. Hey, it's AJ. Rather than um, the the step-by-step tasks. Hey everyone, AJ Giuliani from the Edmonton airports. (laughs) <laughs> which is maybe 15 minutes away from my house, and the guy didn't even contact me. But whatever, who cares? Just, just passing by. Just, just passing by. Just going through Canada. Oh, he's just going through Canada. And it, makes us I, all, I, it kind of makes us all look like that we know each other. Like, oh, AJ, you're in Canada. You're right by my house again. Right? Um, yes, it does. It does. So, um, we were actually, Katie was just making fun of you, and I was trying to stop her and defending you the whole time. So this is perfect that you can now defend yourself. Yeah. So AJ uh, actually is just on a layover, but um, we were actually, I was just going to ask Katie about this, but this would be perfect for you. Um, we were going to, I was going to ask her about the notion of compliance versus empowerment. And one of the things that, are, like, and you know this too, like, compliance is not a dead thing, and nor, nor, like, nor is it ever going to be, because you can't do your taxes for the IRS this year in a PowerPoint if that's what you choose to do, right? There is yes, compliance exactly. there. But how do you kind of just coming in and just hitting you right away, AJ, um, how do you kind of get people to understand that compliance is still part of education? There's actually a place for it. But why is why are you talking about empowerment and why is that crucial? Yeah, well, I think, uh, you know, the, the big difference from compliance to engagement and empowerment is that with compliance and engagement, we're either asking kids to do things because we said so or because it's the rules, right? It's about following the rules. And engagement is about getting kids to get excited about what we're teaching. But the ultimate goal of education, of of any educator, is to inspire kids and give kids opportunities uh, to pursue their passions, their future, their interests. So sometimes, in order for them to pursue their passions, their future, their interests, they needed to follow the rules. They need to be compliant in yeah. order to have opportunities 
to really attack and go after whatever they're really interested about. And so I think compliance plays a, plays a big role in as a stepping stone to get into those places where you actually have the opportunity to, to go ahead and, and follow your passions and your interests and what you want to do. And that, that's actually like, like I've been really focused on my health for the last few months and that's why I'm not, shave, not shaving yeah. and stuff. I've seen the pictures. Yeah, I've seen Thanks, the pictures. buddy. It's good. Yeah, thank yeah. you. So getting ready for the before and after. Yes. Um, <laughs> Except you're but, sharing the whole process. Yeah, right. But the, but the whole idea, like I was actually listening. I think it was Terry Crews, actually. And he was saying, and I thought about this a lot. He's saying, your trainer is not any good if you need them like for like ten, five years. Right. If you keep right. going back to the same trainer, they haven't actually you haven't figured out how to do it yourself. Like it's always about why well, need this person to be able to do it. Yeah. You're just not going to say anything but, about that. No, no. But what I'm saying, you're, but you started out needing that person, right? You started out needing yeah. that, needing that trainer to kind of get you started, follow those rules before you can kind of, you know, jump on and start your own thing. The, the thing about the trainer though, is that they are kind of the coach. So at first, they're probably telling you what to do, but now what's your trainer doing, right? Like the, the trainer, once you get a couple months in, uh, down, down the line, now they're not just telling you what to do. They're kind of planning with you. They're, mm-hmm. they're training with you, those different types of things, right? It's just like coaching in sports where you don't, you're, you're starting to, with the basics, the fundamentals, the principles, but you're eventually getting to a place where you want kids on the playing field to make decisions on their own, and that's what's going to be what's best for the team. Yeah, and I think I think that goes back to the notion of like engagement too, right? Is that the hope of this whole process, right? Is that there's content that is, you know, either through the books, through the Google Hangouts, through the Twitter chats. Um, there is some engagement, and I think this is really good because there's like this traditional message, like, oh, like you don't think content is actually important? I'm, no, actually, content's very important. It's not. It's not an either or. It's actually what do you do with the content? And so that's why this process has moved from, you know, simply a book study where we talk about it, but a book study where you now have to go create something. And the people that, I'm going to say this straight up, because I know a lot of people are listening right now. The people that do get the most out of this, this process are usually the ones who create, who actually go blog, go do stuff. And it's hard work. It's not easy. And you got to kind of figure stuff out and, you know, and, and do things on your own. So um, I'm going to ask both of you this question because we have people listening that are focusing on uh, one of three books. And I'm going to ask, start with you, Katie. If someone's focusing on your book and they're going through the process and the blogging, what do you ultimately hope they take away from it? What do you ultimately hope they get out of that process? Gosh, a lot. I mean, I really hope that they understand wherever, whatever context they're in, if they're an administrator, if they're a teacher, if they're a coach, that they see their role in this change in education, that they see that they have a place that they can jump in, they can make changes wherever they are that are going to be able to influence others. Uh, I want them to get ideas. I want them to push their thinking and challenge current notions of what's happening in our classrooms. But I also want them to feel like they can take those ideas and change them and really make them work in their context. Um, I, and I just, I hope someone leaves feeling, like leaves, finishes the book and feels like, I have some things that I want to try. I have some ideas and I have um, a community behind me who's going to help me and help me um, work through some of this. And, and AJ, I'll come to you in a second, but I just want to, say something katie i think i saw one of the comments here and someone said oh this is like bittersweet because my school is nowhere near there i don't care where you are in the spectrum of work in your school you can initiate change with your colleagues and maybe it's not your principal right away but maybe it's influencing the the person across the hall so you might see this as like okay well this is great in theory but my school's not there we want people to take ownership and saying like, look, because here's the deal. If one of you is bad in your school, your school is going to be considered bad, right? You're, you're often measured by the weakest one in your school. And so if you don't actually help this. And this is the thing is that if you have someone who doesn't give kids opportunities in your school, 
that kid should not lose out. I would not be okay if that was my daughter. And so how do you help these people? Go ahead, Katie. Sorry. I know you guys- no, are you just, you, the other thing I want people to get out of this that you just brought up is challenge the notion of what good is in school. We have a lot of schools that are deemed great because of test scores. We have a lot of schools that are deemed failing because of test scores. So I really hope that people start to challenge what that means and what that looks like in schools. Like, yes, test scores are important. Yes, we need to focus on that. That's the compliance piece, and I get that. But I want to look at a broader conversation around what we want for kids and what that means. And if people start talking about that and start looking at different ways to um, assess schools and what good means, that also will be a huge win. So AJ, what do you, what do you hope? And I know John, you're speaking for both you and John since you co-wrote the book. What are you hoping for happens through this process with the people that are reading your book and blogging about it? Well, I, I think it's going to be different for everybody that reads it, right? And, and that's, uh, I think, part of the key to this process is everybody's going to take something different out about it, depending on uh, kind of where they're at and what, what their focus is. But ultimately for me, you know, my hope is that um, we, we stop waiting. I think that there's, there's, lots of, um, there's lots of excuses that we can make. There's lots of excuses we can make from not trying something new. Uh, there's lots of hurdles and obstacles and challenges. As George says, you know, treat the challenges as an opportunity. And uh, I think that what you'll find is that this community is pretty cool because you're going to see other people that are in schools just like yours, in situations just like you, who are going out there and doing it, actually doing it. And, and I, I think it's getting over that, that shift in thinking like everything's got to be this perfect situation. It's never going to be. It's never going to be a perfect situation. And so my hope is that you just take one step to do something different and take a risk. Just by joining uh, this, this kind of process, you're taking a risk and, and putting yourself out there. Uh, but to see other people and the community of educators, I, George and I have talked about this a lot. I've seen a bigger shift in the past probably three yeah. years in education. Bigger shift than in the past 15, 20 years. And it's because it's being from the ground up. It's from students and teachers supported by administrators. It's not administrators saying this is the initiative. You need to follow it, compliance. It's teachers that are saying, hey, I'd like to do this. And all of a sudden the administrator being like, cool, let's run with it. And I think it's, it's getting over that hurdle of trying something new and seeing what happens. And I, I think this whole notion of uh, waiting for the perfect circumstances or next year, or I'm a new teacher, I'm just going to focus on my classroom management. Like, that's all BS. The kids can't let us wait. Family show, AJ. Family show. Kids can't <laughs> wait. Uh, kids can't wait. And I, I think that there's, there's one other piece that I, that I bring to it, which is, you know, I'm a dad. Uh, I've got a number of kids that are in school right now. And um, you got about eight. To... You got about eight right now, right? <laughs> yeah, right. And I, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't want my kids' teachers to to wait. And I think that in every community, there's somebody that will support you. Maybe it's not a principal, but maybe it's another colleague. Maybe it's a parent. It's somebody in that community that will support you. Uh, and I would say, try to grab a friend. It's not too late. Try to grab a colleague. It's not too late to go through this process with you, uh, because it's going to be awesome. Yeah, and I think that's like a, a that's a great. I agree with you, AJ. There, like, you want you want things to change your school. You're here tonight. You're listening to this, or you're listening to this at your own time. Why not ask someone to say like, hey, like, why don't we do this together and actually have yeah. some conversations about this? And you know what? You might not agree on everything, and nobody really cares if you agree on everything. That's not where <laughs> learning happens, right? If you agree on everything, nothing. But I think that having the challenges in the conversation, I think, is really, really crucial. I think that you know, I'll talk about my my book. Really, what I hope is as people read this, the one of the big tenets is the notion of innovation inside of the box, that you work within constraints. I can't come into your school and say, don't worry about the test, don't worry about this, you just need to do all these things. I'm like saying, yeah, you actually have to do all that stuff because if you don't, you're going to lose your job. And like, it's really easy. Like, hey, do what's right over what your job is, which is really nice for me to say until you show up at my house looking for, you know, somewhere to crash, right? But the idea is that you can still... Do the things that maybe people consider you to be accountable to, whether it's your government, whether it's your principal, and still do amazing things. And that's what's separating great teachers from everyone else is they the way they look at stuff. And it's not 
like it, a lot of teachers that we consider great get the kid to really well in the test, but the kid can't think on their own. They can't learn after the fact. And so is that really a great teacher or is that a, a great, you know, test leader or whatever you want to call it? So um, we are going to we're going to take a few questions. So I want to make sure that I give an opportunity to people to ask. But I'm going to when you're doing this, um, please, you can use the YouTube uh, commenting function, which a lot of people are going to be looking at iMOOC. So we're going to take up probably like three or four questions, but I do want to address one um, thing that was said by Stacy Reader. She said, how do we get kids who have spent years in compliance education to drive and own their own learning through engaging in co-creational learning? It's hard. They crave compliance because it's easier. The thing that I, and I'm sure Stacy knows this too, we have conditioned them to that. That is, that is our fault. We talk about inquiry-based learning all the time. Kids were asking questions when they literally walked into our schools and then we shut them up, right? Because we got to focus on the curriculum. We got to focus on this. We got to focus on that. And no, like a lot of people are like, oh, kids are motivated by marks. I'm like, not kindergarten kids. We taught them they need to be motivated by marks. We taught them to do this, right? They didn't say like, well, I'm only doing this if I get a sticker. They didn't even know these stickers exist in the first place. So I think that we have to have conversations at the early levels saying like, hey, this we I know this looks like this works for your child now because kindergarten kids will basically do almost anything you tell them, especially for me because I was up tall. Like, really, it wasn't that hard. All whoa, I do is tall. Whoa, yeah, whoa, you're so tall. Whoa. What? Come, you coming at short people now? No. I'm not getting out of here. <laughs> I'm just saying taller than a kindergarten kid. So um, this is actually – but the thing is, is that what seems like good learning is actually really good compliance. And you have to kind of say, like, am I getting this kid to, you know, to, to do school well or actually to learn well? And you can, you can do school well and learn well, but you can also do school well and not learn. And I think you have to make that distinction. So um, I want to see if there's any questions in here. George, Rachel, just to piggyback on that. Please go quick. ahead. Yeah. In, Empower, in Empower, we share that uh, kids learn how to play the school at a very young age. My daughter's in third grade. She's eight. She knows the game of school. It looks a little bit different than getting grades in, in maybe K, one, two, three. But here's the game of school to her. Make the adult in school in front of her happy and the adults at home are happy. That's yeah. the game of school. So if, if a second grader, a grade two, grade three, grade one, if the adults are happy because they're trying things and making things and creating things, then that's going to be their game of school. <laughs> that's the one that we got to promote. Uh, and as they kind of move forward, if it's, if it's grades, then they'll easily just kind of get sucked into that trap and play that game. So here's, here's the first question from Rachel Thompson, who I like see all the time. She does awesome stuff, shares quite a bit. She asked a question, what's the best advice for fighting tradition and the emphasis on data and testing? Do any of you want to answer? Yeah, I'll jump in quickly on that. And I think that like if testing is going to be there, we can't, we can't say it's not. But I like to focus on what do we want for students? What do we want our kids to be able to know and do? And when we focus on that, then we can start looking at what, we're look, what kind of data we're looking at, what kind of evidence we want to collect. But if we're just looking at going through the motions, like how'd my kid do on this worksheet? You got a 70% or you got a that I'm not interested in because that's not furthering the impact on learners. It's not creating the kind of um, the skills and mindsets we want for our kids. It's not developing the knowledge in a lot of senses. So really focusing on what is it we want for kids? What is it we want for them to be able to know and do for their future, for their present, um, and then work from there. And that has helped a lot of people start to understand like, oh, maybe this worksheet isn't helping them be critical thinkers. Maybe that they're sitting in rows and doing 20 minutes of warm-up on their cursive is not actually advancing their critical thinking skills. And then we can start collecting evidence, you know, of what type of, um, that aligns with the type of people we want to develop. Yeah, I think if, if, preparing, if preparing kids for the test, if that actually worked, like test prep, then there'd be a lot of schools that were performing at an extremely high level because there's a lot of schools that have been doing test prep for a long, long time, and it hasn't worked. I, I liked what George wrote in a recent blog post um, of, well, why don't you, you have people blog? convince you? I do, yeah. Why don't you have people convince, convince, 
convince you of why these things should stay the same. I love that point, right? Why is it always, why does we always have to kind of convince people that they need to change? Why should we focus on the data and the testing? What is that doing to our students? Because if you look at the research and people really want to talk about the data, we've got 85% of our high school students that are reporting high levels of stress and anxiety due to testing. So it, those are the types of things, the emotional support, these types of things that we really need to kind of say, okay, let's look at the whole picture, the whole child, the whole education, and talk about what's best for kids and what our priorities are. And, and I think you make a really good point. And uh, I find it fascinating. A lot of people are like, research, oh, it's all about the research, it's all about the research. Those same people will argue about the importance of homework and you could say to them, no research says homework actually is valuable. And they're like, yeah, but no research says it doesn't. And like, seriously, that's what you're doing. So everything's got to be research-based, but really are you fighting tradition, right? And, and you're right, like, that is actually, like, why does that not matter? Why does that research not matter? It's like kind of pick and choose what you want. And I think, like, I'm not saying research is, you know, useless, but Katie actually puts it really nicely talking about, the research in the past doesn't matter if the context of the future has changed, and we have to continuously keep an eye on that. I, I'm starting to ask groups when I work with them, saying, like, how many of you would put all of your life saving into Blockbuster or Netflix right now? And everyone's like, I wouldn't put it in Blockbuster. That's crazy. I'm like, what about 10 years ago? Because that's the key, is that it mattered 10 years ago when people couldn't necessarily see that. And I think that's something we have to think about is that, are you keeping an eye on the future and what our kids need? When you know every kid is going to be Googled, are you ignoring that? And that's something we've got to pay attention to. So um, I want to actually, this question, you can, either one of you can answer this. Uh, I'm going to try to say this name as best I can. Christiana Asamkow. It's a story. <laughs> I am like, so Christiana, uh, maybe I got that part right. What does successful learning look like to you? That's a good one. I think uh, successful learning to me is when the uh, learner is able to define what success looks like uh, before, during, and after the learning takes place. I think a lot of times we define for the learner what success looks like, um, and, and that leads to a lot of issues happening because it, it leads to kids that are just focusing on, say, the final product and not the process, or kids that are just focusing on trying to uh, do everything, all the 18 steps of the project and follow the rubric to the T to get to the final thing. But I think when kids can define what success would look like to them before going through the learning experience or while they're going through it, then they're going to come out on the other side kind of reflecting on whether or not uh, they actually succeeded. And, and successful learning looks different for everyone. So when you kind of take it in the eyes and minds of the actual learner um, with the teacher there helping facilitate that, I think that to me is, is what successful can learn, learning can look like throughout life, not just in school. Katie? And, yeah, to build on that, AJ, um, I totally agree. And I ask this question to people a lot. And common themes always come up. You know, they're saying the opportunities to take risks, it's authentic and it's personal to the learner that they have a stake in it and they're, it's something they want to do. There's mentors, there's opportunities for productive struggle. So it's not just like easy. And George mentioned this earlier, the learning process is curvy and it takes lots of twists and turns. So um, but also have an opportunity to Work with other people properly, really find themselves is, is what a person can do. I think that, that was AJ getting some call at the airport. Did you hear that? Is that from AJ's mic? Sorry, man. I think. He, he, he makes it happen no matter where he is. So I don't know. I, I muted him, but I don't think he can unmute him. So. So I'll see if I can figure that out. This is the last. Um, this is the last question, and we'll try to get AJ back on. This is from Kate Reardon. What is the one thing that you suggest we do tomorrow to spark innovation in our schools? Katie, what do you got? One thing we do tomorrow to spark innovation: uh, go talk to kids. Go walk into classrooms, sit in classrooms, talk to kids. Find out what their experience is and get their ideas. They have amazing ideas of how they would like to see and like to learn and 
Try one of them. That's it. AJ, yeah, I can't. Can you turn your mic back on? Because I can't. It is like, you can't. You're out. Sorry, man. Oh, you're out. You're out, AJ. So I'm going to end actually on this question. And to. I'm back. Oh, AJ, did I'm you have a question? Yes. What is one so, thing that you suggest we do tomorrow to spark innovation in our schools? Give kids choice. It doesn't have to be some free, wide open type of choice, but you got to give them some choice in their learning experience. When you give kids choice, they actually have the opportunity to own what they're doing. And when they own what they're doing, they're empowered to have deep learning experiences. But it all starts with giving kids some slimmer of choice in what they're actually learning. Because the rest of our life, all we do is make choices and decisions as adults all day long. And if we don't prepare kids to do that, then they're going to go into this world very confused of what it looks like to be an adult and member of this community. And so I'll add one last comment on this. We, we continuously, AJ, you're getting the mute again. Sorry, buddy. Um, the one last thing that I would like to add to this is too often what, when that question is asked, the first thing teachers want to do is something that can be done in the classroom. It's all about like, what can we do with our kids tomorrow? And I understand why it's imperative, but the first thing you do is what you're doing right now. You need to push yourself as a learner. You need to um, put yourself in situations to understand what are the opportunities for our kids today? What can they, what can I do as a learner to actually see the opportunities for our students so that's why this whole process exists and why it's such a good question to end on that if you're talking, if you're really serious about what you can do with your kids, write a blog tonight, uh, do a video, do some of the assignments that we asked you, do something that makes you feel uncomfortable because you have a much better understanding of the impact that has on kids as well. And here's something I've been talking about quite a bit lately. Um, if you have a kid who makes a YouTube video and it's terrible, they are going to get hammered on it. There's going to be people attacking them, you know, saying how stupid it is. That's going to happen. But you also have to understand this. If you have a kid who makes an awesome YouTube video, there's going to be people that are, hate them too, and they're going to be attacking them too. And they're doing this. And the thing is, are we going to hold ourselves back? Because no matter what you do, someone's going to hate it. Someone's going to be jealous of you. Someone's going to be doing this. And we actually, um, people, that's how people are. Like, I've dealt with it quite often. People just not even challenging my ideas, but challenging me. And yeah, it can be frustrating. And I'm sure everyone listening to this has had that. Not because you were doing something bad, but you were aspiring to do something great. And we have to understand that our kids live in this world where the now they're getting attacked by people that um, they don't know because they're doing great things. But And I'm not trying to scare you off from trying stuff, but you have to actually, if you're really going to help our kids in the world today, you have to kind of put yourself out there, try different things and be open to criticism, both when you're doing something great and maybe when you're not doing something great and, and learn from the process, learn to kind of block out when uh, people hate on you and stuff like that. But the, the quick thing is, how do we get our kids to be better learners? You need to be a better learner. And one thing I always say, if you want to be a master teacher, you need to be a master learner, immerse yourself. So um, I'm going to uh, end this for the evening. And I am so looking forward to your blog posts. I'm looking forward to the connection. Um, every week, we wanted to have a consistent time for the chats every week. So I'm not necessarily going to be at all of them because I'll be on the road, but it will be Katie's at everyone. And John will either be some. We have some guests coming up. AJ will be at some. I'll be at some. And so we'll have a, a different variety of voices throughout this time. But if you want to get something out of this, blog create, do stuff. That will help your kids tremendously. Anyone who's partaken in and done that can tell you the exact same thing. And so we look forward to your blog post. There's a Twitter chat Thursday night with Tara Martin leading it um, with a few other people. There's some Facebook Live. Um, you don't have to participate in everything, but the things that I wish you do is create your own learning, create your own pathway. And so thank you for listening tonight. I'll say bye for AJ because I muted him because he's at the airport. But Bye, Katie, I'm back. There you are. Bye. And Katie, any last? Oh, it's like a penalty box, eh? Like you get a couple minutes. Yeah. You're, I, I need this. to put you in the penalty box for when the Pittsburgh Steelers had. After Sorry. The Eagles Sorry. Did the Eagles win this year? Uh, and <laughs> Katie, Katie, I'll give you the last word. Awesome. So I just also want to note um, 
the, the challenge this week is to post a video to introduce yourself and share a goal and something you want to learn. And I think that's perfect um, to follow up George's comment about put yourself out there. Posting a video blog is kind of uncomfortable. So do it. Force yourself to do it right now. Force somebody else to do it um, just to try something new and introduce yourself to the community. And I echo George, super excited. Want you guys to create. You get what you put into this. We're here to support you. We're here to challenge you. We're here to be a community, but it's really about what you do as learners. And um, comment on each other's blogs too, because that's a huge process and huge way to build the community. So we look forward to your ideas and we're excited you're here. Excited for the fun for the next six weeks. Adios. See ya. Have a good night. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Tell me, mirror, what is wrong? Can it be my daylight clothes or is it just my daylight song? What I do 